Hello and welcome to The Runs, the podcast about runs of comic books. I'm your host, Ryan Alexander Tanner. We have an excellent episode today. We'll be talking with Joel Jones about Junji Ito's Uzumaki. I'm excited about it. How are you feeling about it? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I'm sensing your excitement. It's uh, <laughs> exuding. So Uzumaki is a horror manga uh, ran from 1998 to 1999. It's like a lot of large volume of work, but it only took a year, which is humbling. Uh, the name <laughs> means spiraling. I mean, spiral. I already messed up. The name means spiral, not spiraling. That's very embarrassing. It's 20 chapters. We're about 10 years into Genji Ito's career at this point. I would say maybe it's his definitive work. We'll probably talk about that more as we go. But essentially, uh, a, a, about a small town that is haunted by spirals. It's a very weird concept. So that's what we're going to talk about. And we'll be talking this week with Joel Jones. Joel Jones has, l- let me know what I leave out, but okay. uh, you are a big name comics artist. You're like an A-list comics illustrator. So I'm, oh. and you also write. So don't even limit it to drawing. So according to uh, my research, I'd say your breakout book was 12 Reasons Why I Love Her for Oni in 2006. I think that was kind of your first yeah. big one. Then you did it work for Oni and Dark Horse. 2015, you co-wrote and illustrated Lady Killer, which I think was kind of when you became a household name, I would say. <laughs> uh, and then uh, you went on to do some Marvel work and then DC exclusive in 2016. And you drew Batman. Which is like, you can't, what, what more can you do than draw Batman in this industry? <laughs> and then later you drew Batman and Catwoman's Wedding, which was a big event. And then, uh, yeah, I just it just says super popular comics artist in my notes. So <laughs> how'd I do? Yeah, good. Oh, I, I did a, uh, for me, a long run on Catwoman. Oh, yeah. After Batman. And then I just finished uh, doing Wonder Girl, the Yara Floor book. How'd that go? So- um, I've got mixed feelings about it, but if you ask me next year, I'll probably have nothing bad to say about it. It's too fresh. <laughs> can I, can I ask more about that? Yeah. What do you want to know? Well, what, what are the mixed feelings? Where are they coming from? Oh, well, you know, it's, it's a weird thing to create a character for a big company like that. You know, it's, you love them and you have to let them go. Um, you have to share them with a, a huge audience, you know, and everybody has their opinions and, you know, all you kind of want to do at the end of the day is just play in the sandbox alone. And there's too many people trying to butt in. Mm-hmm. Um, funny enough, not DC. Um, they pretty much left me alone except for a, a few things, but uh, yeah, I, I think it was, terribly stressful but rewarding at the same time so mixed (laughs) do you have to uh deal with like um how well something would translate to being an action figure and stuff like that when you work on your characters now uh not at all they let me sort of have this weird freedom i think it was during covid that i came up with her in her costume and uh i was given a very small brief and i just ran with it and they just let me go. I think that they thought it wasn't going to do much of anything uh, because it was made for future state, the um, event. And when it came out, people loved it. And I was meant to get like five issues in the can or at least 
three or four before I started the series, but they wanted it right away. And so it was a matter of tripping over myself the whole way of writing and drawing a monthly book without having any sort of buffer time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've been writing and drawing monthly books since 2016. And it's, uh, it's, that's too much. <laughs> yeah. You, and you ink your own stuff, right? Mm-hmm. What do you ink with? Uh, I do mix some, like if I'm really behind, I do digital. Okay. Um, but if I'm, you know, having a great time, uh, and I have my druthers, I do digital pencils and then, you know, um, brush inks with, uh, Windsor Newton. Really? Mm-hmm. Cause you're, you have such a sharp line, I guess. Cause I can't do it. It looks impossible to me. Um, and then like, how fast are you? Like, I can't, I would never, I would die if I try to do a monthly book, even just penciling without writing or inking, but like, what's your, how many pages can you get done in a day? Who knows? I, it, you know, it was just a mad dash to the finish. I, I'm surprised that I survived it. Uh, it's hard to say, you know, some days it's like half writing, half drawing. You have to write like two or three issues ahead. You have to do the copy and then covers for like three issues ahead all while doing pages. So my poor editor, it was just a matter of her saying, you know, which house has the five alarm fire that day. Uh-huh. get it done and then we move on to the next fire the next day and just keep putting them out um so some days it would be two pages someday it would be one panel it just uh-huh. depends on my endurance but you can in a good day you can pencil and ink two pages in a good day if i have time to plan out the page really well yeah if i know where i'm going but a lot of the times it's you know having to write and draw on the spot the story of like, I don't know what I'm doing. Let's just get it out. And, you know, uh, yeah. And, and sometimes you have to go back and redraw it because the story doesn't make any sense by the end. And, <laughs> uh, you know, is uh, it was a mess, but I, I love the character. I really had fun in that world. Um, so, you know, I don't know if I'll ever revisit it, but yeah, I like, I mean, I like, playing in that world anyway. I don't know if it's comforting to people or not to know. I I think that's pretty universal. Like the sense, that sense that I don't know what I'm doing, that never goes away, right? (laughs) No, never. No. (laughs) Master syndrome is a lifetime disease. (laughs) It's a real commitment. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we're going to talk about Uzumaki. Um, And so you, I was excited. I was excited that you agreed to do this because... I'm going to um, leech off of your notoriety, but also because uh, to try to get listeners for the show, I mean, but um, also because you're the only person that wanted to do manga. And I was like, oh, right. I really like this idea that this will be like a um, very rounded mm-hmm. collection of different runs of comics. And you're the only person I was like, oh, it's good to do manga. Um, so wh- why did you pick Uzumaki? Well, I've never read manga. I was, I grew up not ever being exposed to it, not watching any anime. Uh, I just watched Akira for the first time like two years ago. Whoa. So I don't know anything about it. So I'm trying to explore it and and, um, read as much as I can to have sort of a a well-rounded comic book language. Um, And I 
am constantly drawn to horror. Like it's mm-hmm. my favorite genre. It's uh, <laughs> I watch the worst movies. So uh, yeah. Like what? Oh my God. Well, I mean, any new horror that comes out, I'm going to watch it like all the garbage, but <laughs> can you give me an example? I, you know what? I, embarrassingly enough, I, I like the paranormal activity movies. Oh my God. I love those movies. Thank <laughs> okay. you. Yeah. I like any found footage. Like I like found the footage worst found footage. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I will watch a terrible. So I've seen all of those. Yeah. Um. Did you watch the, um? what was the one where she has a spoiler alert, but she's got a, the head on the back of her head. Yeah. Yeah. What was that? I, I Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I watched that with my mom. Um, do you have like preferences in horror though? Like, is there, yeah, I'm not a slasher, mm-hmm. uh, no torture porn, no yep. slasher. Yeah. I really like, um, ambiance and building it and like freak me out, but you know, um, I don't like to be shown everything. Like mm-hmm. I like my imagination to do a lot of the work, which I think is why I like to read and watch horror all the time, because I feel like I'm an active participant. And, uh, yeah. So if you, if you give me too much, if you show me all the, all the details, all the scales on the CGI monster, I'm not going to enjoy it. Like I need there to be some sort of shadow and mystery and, uh, an opportunity for me to play with them. Yeah. That, so, and then have you done much horror work in comics? None. And I've always wanted to, but it's just not come up. I think, you know, you you start doing certain genres and you just get stuck in them quite a bit. Like I've had to, you know, run for my life trying to get away from young adult. And oh, somehow yeah. it's like, it keeps getting shoved in my face. I don't even like reading young adult. I mean, oh. no, <laughs> no diss on it. It's just not my bag. And yeah, so <laughs> it's just not come up. Well, but so, because young adult and superheroes are kind of where the, the money is right. In yeah. comics. But is there a horror? Are there are there horror comics yeah, that have done yeah. well? I'm trying to think. Uh, something's killing the children. I I think did really well. Yeah. I haven't read it. I'm so behind on everything. Sure. Um, I know that Colin Bunn regularly puts out some horror. Um, yeah, I think there's a few, and, and when it's good, it's really good. I mean, I think. <laughs> You could say some Swamp Thing is sort of horror-esque. Yep, especially the earlier, the early, early stuff. And then some Alan Moore, when he did horror on Swamp Thing, it was really that Monkey yeah. King story. The, that's like yeah. a great, great, great well, horror yeah, and comic. Like a lot of Vertigo. There was a lot of horror there. And uh, yeah. Constantine and, you know, all that. And there's definitely some horror elements that you can get into. But, you know, they're... Uh, there's not as many jobs available for that. Yeah. Well, we'll start a letter writing campaign because I would like to read your horror <laughs> comics. And then, um, so coming back to so when did you first read this series? Mm, six months ago. Okay. Yeah. And then yeah, I quickly pass it on to my nephew, who is maybe too young to read it. But <laughs> Well, how old is he? Uh, 14. Ah, that's a perfect age to read yeah, it. I think, I think it's so. made for him. That's so funny because we we kicked around ideas for a while and uh, you actually mentioned this and I sort of avoided it because I also gave away my copy of Uzumaki. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know if I should say this, but I discovered from us agreeing to do manga that you can read like every manga series online for free, I think probably illegally, but uh 
I don't know if I should say, if you Google read such <laughs> and such online, they'll just be like a scrolling. I know uh, I'm still, I'm, I'm too old to read uh, <laughs> online. I'm still, I need the book in my hands. Yeah. I prefer the book in my hand, but if I've already bought a book and given it away, then I will, oh, yeah. read it for, then, then that's the exception I'm willing to make. But so, and then um, we had talked we did. We agreed to do a whole other series called Monster. Who's that one by? Uh oh no! I used to, uh started the U. I think. Google it. Urasawa? Okay, I'll 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 believe you. And uh, did you read that one more recently too, or it sounded like that was more of a no? That on one. You? It's my very first one I read. My first manga I ever read. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read it maybe in two thousand eight. Okay while I was bartending and the bar was slow. Um, uh, I, I was given the book as a gift and, and I couldn't get enough of it. And I think it, it was at the same time, the book was coming out monthly, I think in the States. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really exciting. And yeah, I, I love that series. It changed my opinion on manga completely. In what way? I mean, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't cutesy. It wasn't young. It wasn't like, it was, it was a thriller. Like a, it was tense. It was, I think it all takes place in um, West Berlin post-World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of like the fugitive, but with like Nazi experiments. And it's, it was so uh, engaging and so adult and, and kind of more up, up my alley of, of what I like in a, in a genre, sort of something grounded in reality. And I'd not seen that in, in manga before. And I realized I had been misjudging an entire category for it. Yeah, I think manga has been so good for the U.S. because there are all these ideas of like what would and wouldn't sell or what audiences were available. And I guess just translating existing works was cheaper than creating new works. And then it was like, oh, actually, if you put these in a bookstore... People will read comics about a soccer team or about, you know, teen romance. Like, yeah, well, I mean, I think the idea is like there's way it's comic books or manga is not a genre. It's mm-hmm. a medium. So you can explore all the genres within that medium. I think sometimes in the States, comic books tend to be a little bit more restricted in, in the genres. You know, I think creator own absolutely goes all over the place, but that's not what people think of. And they're, you know, ready to pick up a book expecting something, you know, different. But I think it's gotten a lot better in the last 20 years. And I'd say there's a debt to manga for that happening. Yeah. I think it opened up a lot of possibilities. So, but so these aren't, neither of these are like really influential works to you. They're just comics you read that you liked. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Something about Monster that was influential on me back then was the the cast of characters is huge. And the way he draws each character is so distinctive, which with very few lines. Um, And so I really took that to heart of like, it it gives it a a more well-rounded feeling, like even just a random person that he would walk past they have a distinctive face that's different from any other face. And it, yeah, it made a huge mark on me. And, and, and it was this building of tension within the book 
And, you know, I think Uzumaki definitely is sort of more of that, of, you know, how do you make horror in comics when horror is time-based and comic books, you know, the reader determines the time. So you mean like building suspense time-based? Yeah. Or like the payoff of the big scare, Uh you know, uh, if you're flipping through the book before you actually read it, you're going to see some of the things coming up or you choose to read ahead or look at something in your peripheral. Um, It's up to the reader how you read it. And, and you have a lot less control like a filmmaker would. So I feel like it's way more difficult to, you know, carry on with or pass off horror in comics. And so when I read this, it was like, well, shit, there it is. What do you think the solutions that Junji Ito found in his storytelling were for Uzumaki? You know, I'm, I'm not sure what it is that makes it work, but the cadence of the short stories mm-hmm. and how they all feed into each other. You get into a character and you see, you know, um, the climax and sometimes the resolution of this horrifying situation they're in. And then you move on to the next story, but there's a sense that, and it's all in the same like little village. Mm-hmm. There's a sense that it's all building together. Um, and so it makes it really tense. And, you know, you know that that spirals there and it's going to get them. How's it going to get them this time? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, are they going to be a victim or, you know, how, like, especially the last story, Medusa with the hair. Uh-huh. bonkers. <laughs> yeah, I want to say a little more about that. But uh, yeah, so it's sort of like each chapter is almost its own short story, but always in this town and always the spiral. And there's always the same narrator too. I think all the way through, I, I don't remember, definitely in this first volume. Yeah. And yeah, one might say even that the stories are spiraling together because oh, it, it really does, <laughs> as you get to the end of it, it's like all these characters are kind of together and it 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 tightens up the whole narrative yeah but um i thought too there was a weird mix of horror and sort of like ridiculous like mm-hmm. it's not campy at all but it's i think like a different illustrator wouldn't have pulled this off at all or like the yeah. spiral as the subject of the horror and sort of some of the things he does with it are so weird yeah i mean i think every good horror has to have a comedy element somewhere i mean like comedy and horror are like twins like you know what fraternal twins (laughs) uh and but it's also like it's a pressure valve that sort of releases it a little bit you're like Mm. well that looks ridiculous like she's they're having a hair battle yeah (laughs) I think the hair battle was the uh, the most intense kind of. I'm not sure about this, but, right? Yeah, but I, I, you know, I appreciate it for maybe it's intentional that it's so absurd here, and that it relieves a little bit of that pressure and tension. You can, you know, let some of that breath go, and then move on to the next story, um, because leading up to that is like some of the scarier stories. Um. I think. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe it's intentional. I'd like to think it's intentional. 
Yeah, it's 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 hard to know kind of the mind of the artist as you work through. And he does uh we'll we'll get to it at the end, but he does kind of an afterword of this first volume, and the tone of it is really humorous and kind of odd. And that too made me it almost seems like a challenge that he created for himself. Like, could I pull this off? Could I have spirals be the basis of a big horror work? You know? Um, but so real quick, then we'll get all Uzumaki. So but it's too recent to, you wouldn't say this was influential on you. I, I mean, maybe now, but. Yeah, maybe now. I think it's too, too soon to tell, but. <laughs> but I like the idea of guests kind of picking formative work for themselves. And uh, that's not what this is for you. This is like a really good horror comic you read six months ago in terms yeah, of your personal think, context. Yeah, it's a, it's an extenuation of, you know, um what I discovered in monster and sort of uh, moved into a, a heavier genre of it. And um, I mean, already I just wrote the wonder girl um, annual, which is like 40 pages. And I tried my hand at um, doing short stories in it mm. as opposed to, you know, one thing. And um, yeah, it's really hard, but <laughs> I, I wanted, I want to have another take at it. Like I want to try again. Um, and I feel like, you know, the structure of the book is definitely going to be influential and it's already sort of affected my work. Cool. Yeah. And then I just want to ask you, because I think it's an interesting question, then we'll get all Uzumaki all the time. But what would you say? I'm sure this is like one of these questions where your mind goes blank as soon as you're asked. But I'm just interested what kind of your core fundamental influential works that you read that made you want to make comics or that have most influenced your own work? Uh, I, you know, I was reading comics since I was like eight years old. Mm -hmm. um, but I think when I, you know, and, and, and I'd pick up artists all the time, mm -hmm. I think, you know, I was friends with Terry Blass, who mm -hmm. I think you had on the show. He's been on the show. Yeah. <laughs> we went to high school together and we we're like besties. And, constantly drawing and he showed me like uh j scott campbell and uh bachalo which for me chris bachalo was a huge influence uh and i still admire him so much um and uh joe moderera yep. mm -hmm. um sort of that 90s craziness that cliffhanger era yeah i mean they all did stuff before cliffhanger but those were the cliffhanger artists right like, yeah and a lot yeah. of like the wild storm books and yep. Um, yeah, that's when it was, but it, there was a sense that like people were paying attention more to the artist. And so mm -hmm. you follow an artist from book to book to book. And, and I, you know, since I was eight, I wanted to draw comics, but I think it was the nineties where it was like really pushing me to like, you know, okay. Like something's exciting is happening with art. Um, you know, it was ridiculous, but more people were talking about the art and paying attention to the art. And, um, so, you know, yeah, that was a really fun time to sort of, and, and I had for the first time a bunch of friends that read comics. So mm. we go to the comic book shop together and every Wednesday and share what we found. And yeah, that was really exciting. Yeah. It's always just fun to know what kind of, I, this is a little bit of a nostalgia show, I guess I'd say. But yeah. um, not so much in this case, we're going to talk about 
Uzumaki. But I, I did want to do The Witching Hour, which is by Bachalo, which... Oh, that's right. Yeah, we mentioned that. I, I never read that. Is that all by him or was that... Did Mike Carey write that? I think so. I've got it somewhere, but yeah. Yeah. And then do you like... Because um, he had such a shift in his style. Like, to me, we talked yeah. about this on the episode of Terry. When Mark Buckingham was inking him, they had this sort of perfect synergy and then... I like what he did since then, but I always liked Bachala's Mark Buckingham, you know, the death miniseries and early generation X. But do you have a preference for different eras of him or are you just all his whole thing? Do you know, I do like, I, I like it when he goes bonkers with the details. So a little bit later, you know, I know that it's harder for some people to read, <laughs> but just as an artist to, to dig in, get into it really like follow the function of what he's doing and you know just for the sake of indulgence i love it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah all the, the sandman stuff is fantastic and that's where i uh first encountered him i think yeah yeah those death mini series are really like really great looking yeah beautiful comics okay so Uzi, so yeah and then for me too uh i read this i don't know five years ago that was just recommended to me and i read it and i liked it and uh read it again recently for this show but so yeah because i'm reading a lot of stuff i never read before for this podcast which has been cool but this one is a reread for me uh so yeah we'll just go through it's gonna do chapters one through six create the first volume that was where we contained our review so yeah we start with the main character we're in the town the town is i'm sure we're going to mispronounce everything right <laughs> uh, kurozu cho that's how white americans say it mm-hmm. um and we meet the uh main character i haven't written but i can't read my is it Kyrie? i think it's Kyrie. Kyrie, yeah and she's kind of standing in a field with spiral plants so we get a couple color pages to open i think all the volumes open with a couple color yeah. pages but you have to excuse the sound of my book because I took it camping and it's full of dirt. Oh, <laughs> you can you wouldn't be able to hear it if it didn't have dirt on the page. Usually it's books are silent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she's a high school student. And uh, she first is encounters a whirlwind, which is a little bit of an ominous spiral presence. <laughs> And then she sees, so this guy's her boyfriend, even though they don't say it explicitly for a while, but Shuichi is her boyfriend. Is he at first or do they fall in love? Uh, Yeah, because they don't, they have a very sort of chaste relationship where they just kind of like walk around together and chat. But um, he comes to meet her. And then I think in the third or fourth chapter they say that they're a couple but um, oh yeah that's right yeah they they have a pretty uh restrained relationship you don't really see much uh they have a lot more shit going on than going on fun dates <laughs> but i don't know i just think you know while you're here but so he says shuichi's father uh in an alley he's staring at a snail shell which is also ominous she meets <laughs> up with him uh at the train station because he's going to a high school in the next town and uh they're just discussing his father's strange behavior right yeah yeah and, I, uh, the father is so creepy and fun he might be my favorite because it, well i mean he opens it right he's the first weirdo you meet and i just love it <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, they're kind of, um, Shuichi's kind of just 
getting the sense that the town is contaminated with spirals. And mm. uh, there's sort of an embracing of how absurd this idea is. Like the, uh, say Kyrie is more us, you know, she's our kind of entry yeah, point she's, character. She's definitely like the, the cipher or the ambassador to the story. And but, someone who has to be kind of convinced that that could be a thing, I guess. <laughs> Spiral <laughs> syrup would be such a problem. But yeah, so then the dad is just getting real, just real excited about spirals, you know? He just <laughs> <laughs> can't get enough of them. I can't remember what he says. I mean, well, he gives his reasons, I know. And I don't know if it's like math-based. Yeah, he says, uh, you know, the it's the perfect, most sublime form of art. Um, but I think more than it's sort of at this point, I think it could be anything. It's more just like the level of obsession that he's sitting in his room full of objects covered in spirals. And yeah, there's just disturbing that he would, you know, basically be neglecting his family on this level. And, uh, you know, it could be what it could be gambling or something, you know, it's more just like the self-destructive nature of obsession but they're still continuing to notice spirals and everything in the whirlpools and um the father's becoming very irate if anyone touches his spirals (laughs) and then i guess where it gets really crazy so this is good like examining this as a horror scene right then his eyes start spiraling in different directions yeah i think i well he commissions her father to make like this perfect spiral in clay or in ceramics. And then, yeah, I think that's when he spirals out of control. Oh, ah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But so with the eyes rolling is sort of, sort of getting this kind right. of otherworldly kind of body horror kind of level of this yeah. series. It's so, like, the imagery it is so good. Like, you can't, I yeah, you can't even describe it. It's, you have to see it. It's amazing. Which is really good for a podcast. That's I know. the problem with this podcast. Oh, this drawing is really cool. Oh, it's so good. But yeah, I mean, I think, again, this is a good example of where a, uh, I don't think, it, I mean, there are probably other artists on the planet who could have pulled that off, but it's very like uniquely this artist's strengths that they can draw a whole scene of someone's eyes kind of yeah. detaching and rolling around. And it's so eerie and makes you feel weird it's got that it's got that moment of you know in uh red and stimpy when they go close up and Uh you see all the the pimples and ingrown hairs and everything and it's got a sense of that like this up close but then he's got this sort of terrifying elated smile like he's happier than he's ever been and he's you know uh contorting in uh his eyes in such a weird way and yeah that's what's scary to me is like the joy of it yeah and like the mat like embracing this kind of horrible yeah and then his tongue gets long and starts spiraling and he's basically just creating spirals with his body any way that he can well i like it he shows up because he's showing off every time she's like oh i've got that pot my dad made he's like don't even want it check this out (laughs) stick his tongue out Right. And I think as a as a as an artist, right, that's probably the most horrifying is that uh someone uh commissions an artwork and then they don't want it anymore once it's done. That's, <laughs> that's the real horror. That's yeah. the horror, yeah. We've all we've all lived that. Didn't even pay. 
Or I know <laughs> that's the worst. And so then he just dies. He dies kind of off screen, right? Yeah, it's really abrupt, and it just goes right right to this uh, uh, the smokestack for the um, what do you call it crematorium? Yeah. And then, um, but then we cut back to, so he'd ordered this, um, the tub, right? Like a wooden yeah. tub. And then his body is in the tub and he's basically just turned his whole form into a spiral. Yeah. And it's, it's disgusting. Very, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it makes me wonder when, like when I was reading this, there have been moments where as an artist, I don't know if you've felt this, where you're drawing something and it's starting to scare you a little bit mm. or like there's something deeply disturbing and you push through and you keep going and you're like, you know, it's sort of giving into that and just, I'm going to let this nightmare exist on this page. And um, it's a weird place to be in as an artist. I think when you stumble upon that territory and just go for it, like it's really fun. <laughs> Yeah. Do you think, is that a good sign that you're kind of on to something? Yeah. I think, you know, you have to, every time I stop, it's like, I, I think about the audience of like, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to scare anybody. <laughs> I, I don't want to gross anybody out. Um, but part of me wants to, like, I want to <laughs> keep going and I want to push it. But you know, when you, when you don't hold back, I think you can get into that weird territory. And I wonder, like you said, the, the afterward, he's, really funny and silly and he wrote books about his cats Mm -hmm. and you know i've heard this of horror writers um they share like cookie recipes with each other and they're the most delightful people because they get out all this darkness they sit with it and they live with it for a day you know especially the artists and you know you sort of exercise your own demons i guess I can see that. And then do you feel like you do much like channeling emotion when you are making comics? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. It's hard to do like a, you know, I, if I fought with my boyfriend, it's really hard to do like a a lovey dovey scene that day. (laughs) Like (laughs) like, screw these guys. Yeah. (laughs) What about like (laughs) Batman? Like you've done Batman. Batman's such a specific kind of a stoic Mm-hmm. character and he's sort of like james bond like he does things none of us can do yeah like he's gonna he's always gonna be the coolest in the room right like, yeah <laughs> yeah i thought you know i was lucky to work with tom king who mm. is really like really good at uh communicating to the artists mm. exactly the feelings and the mood and the tensions going on that you know he's not going to put in the script, but the artist needs to put in the art. And so I got really lucky with, with that um, doing Batman. Cause you know, yeah, it's intimidating to do Batman. That's yeah. That's pretty heavy duty stuff. Yeah. But yeah, like, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I'm just sort of thinking more about this stuff at this time. Cause I feel like I've gotten really technical and like, I'm starting to think I've gotten too technical, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'll always think about like, what are the shots, you know, what composition best describes this. And, but then I'm looking at my drawings when they're done and going, ah, I think I overthought that, you know? Um, oh yeah. So do you think, are you able to do that? Kind of just let like lead with emotion as you're working? Yeah, I tried. I try to at first, like, you know, um, maybe to my detriment, I, I think about the camera angles and stuff. Like 
I see it in my head, right? Like it's a movie, but it's led with emotion. Um, and so it kind of trips me up sometimes. Like I'll try to pack too much in or there's not enough for the amount of pages. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a balance of like what left brain and right brain, like my analytical side is saying like, well, you know, it'd be really cool if you did like a grid like this and lay it out. And then the other part of me is just like, I don't know. I just want to draw like a really pretty, pretty picture. (laughs) 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 Uh, So yeah, it's a, it's a balance, I guess, but yeah. Yeah. I always look at artists like, um, you know, like later Mazzucchelli, Mm. I think it's a good example. You can tell he's just really feeling it, you know, yeah. like he's, or Bill Watterson, where he's like, he's not trying to create the perfect line. He's yeah. sort of capturing this motion. And but it takes such a confidence in the self, I think, to just lay that line down and let it kind of be what it is. So I don't know. I'm trying to reconnect with that a little bit at and this time. Yeah, it's it can be hard. I, uh, I have this idea that someday I won't be doing monthly books and that I'd actually be able to <laughs> like sit down and draw what I want. And then I think, what do I want to draw? I don't even remember what it was like to, to just sit down and and doodle what I want. Uh, So, you know, it's a matter of uh, reconnecting with that, but I try to do live drawing with models. Yeah. Remind me of like art school days. Yep. When I had these ideas that I would, be like shut up uh, in this attic's studio space and I'm crazy and everybody thinks I'm a genius and <laughs> you connect with that you know artist with a capital A for a little bit and then you get back to reality I think is yeah. the good balance. Well it's freeing too like that really is just for you those drawings like it's an exercise and you don't have to ever show them to anyone and I think for that reason they're sometimes the best drawings you know. Yeah yeah, yeah. and it's exactly what you said like you can you always know when the artist is feeling it. Always. Yeah. Always tell. That's true. Yeah. Even if the drawings are kind of less precise, but if there's like an emotion in them. Um, I'm going to think on that. I'm going to got some <laughs> takeaways from this conversation. So, and then, so this first chapter, I don't think they do this very much, but it ends kind of a cliffhanger, right? Like hmm. the, the body's burning and then everyone's like, oh, look up in the sky. Oh yeah. What's that's my sky? favorite part. Yeah hands down out of these first six chapters is the huge spiral of ash in the sky and everybody looking up. And I think that's when everything turns. This is not just one dude who's crazy. You know, this is going to infect everyone. Like that's when it grows and gets really big. Love yeah. It. The scale of it. So yeah, the, the ending is of the first chapter is kind of a close up on her eye and we don't know what they're looking at. And then the opening of the second chapter is a double page spread of the, the the ash spiral in the sky, which I think is like a dry brush technique. It looks like it's beautiful. Yeah. And then it swirls down into the water into Dragonfly Pond, mm-hmm. which is in the center of the town, which is a little bit ominous there you go and uh everyone's just watching it like and then uh his mom is now freaking out oh and you can see his face with his tongue coming out yes. in a spiral in the sky oh i don't like it oh i love that one <laughs> that, yeah that, it's kind of a double page spread on that one too and oh it's creepy i love it and it's uh it's kind of driving the mom crazy like she starts having a 
a mental break, right? And then she's in the hospital, and then she's freaked out by there's a spiral in the bun of someone's hair. Yeah, she tries and, to get rid of all the spirals instead of collecting them, like her husband. She yeah. sees like the spirals in her fingertips. She cuts off her fingertips. Oh, I can't even look at that where she's cutting off her fingertips. Uh, it really bothers me that really, <laughs> it's really well, like you said, like I can't do the. Uh, I like slashers. I like when there's like a an antagonist, you know, like I like those, uh, you know, like Jason movies. I like a lot. But um, like you said, I can't do torture porn. Like, I don't really like to watch people in pain or like hurting yeah. themselves. Uh, and that's I mean, it's really well done. I think it's also kind of squeamishly delightful. But that was very affecting. You can feel it when she's cutting her fingertips yeah. off. It's I think it scissors. is like, like there's certain things that people freak out. Uh, I see a lot of like modern horror try to try to do it, but it seems really forced. But like, was it? It's been a long time. Like the Black Swan, right? Oh, she yeah. have, like, a hangnail, and she pulls it, and the skin keeps coming. Like, I think everybody's had a dream of that, and like their teeth falling out. Oh yeah, and it's just like a play on these sort of um, bad thoughts that we all have, or or you know, ho- private horrors. So the idea of snipping off your your fingertips or your fingerprints is, you know, this visceral, like private thing. It's, I love it. Oh, it makes me <laughs> queasy. <laughs> um, yeah. So then she's kind of being haunted by the husband is appearing in spiral. She sees, and he's like, join me in the spiral. She cuts <laughs> off all her hair. I love this. And then uh, the son is in the um, talking to the doctor. And then he notices like the spiral in the inner ear on the anatomy chart. And he's like, Oh shit. Yeah, don't. He's trying to cover the poster. Like, don't let her see. Don't let her know. She's got a spiral in her ear. Inside her ear, it's a bad, bad sign. (laughs) She's gonna find out. So they're worrying about it. Oh yeah, and then like a centipede crawls in her ear, which is a little bit out of left field, I would say. Yeah, I, uh, I think it's you know the town car is gonna get her somehow. I know. There's I don't see that poster. They're going to say, you know, the bugs are going to come get her. It's only the second chapter, but I wasn't hopeful that she was going to make it through this. <laughs> no. <laughs> so then, yeah, he her husband appears in the centip- the spiral of the centipede's body. And he's uh, he's basically giving her an indication about her inner ear. Mm. And then uh, let's see. Yeah. And then the spiral <laughs> appears in her uh, IV bag. Mm-hmm. which is uh, yeah, it's pretty unavoidable at this point. You know, once it's in your IV bag, what are you going to do? So then, yeah, she stabs her in her ear with the scissors. Yeah. How'd she get those scissors? Oh, yeah. Does it say? I think she just, yeah, she just pulls them out of a drawer. Yeah, you would think that they would have maybe gotten That's what she did to her fingers. <laughs> <laughs> those are the same scissors she cut the fingertips off with. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It didn't so, take them away. I don't, well, you know, that's our, I guess Japan's healthcare system's not much better than ours. I guess <laughs> the takeaway from that. But yeah, then she dies and becomes a spiral in the sky too. Yeah. So she's cremated, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her ashes go up. Yeah, I think that's everybody, right? No, I mean, I guess that's a spoiler, but everybody that dies. Is Becomes the ashes, I think, right? Because, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, yeah, spoiler, right. but the yeah, accumulation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So then we get the moon. Oh, yeah. The scar story is the Ooh, third I one. I love this one. All right. Well, you want to you walk us through it? 
yeah. So, well, it opens on really cool image um, of this girl, heavy bangs, uh, like Madeline Kahn haircut. And then she's got like a crescent moon shaped scar in the center of her forehead, but she uses her bangs to cover it up. And she's friends with Kyrie. And like, oh my God, you're the prettiest girl in school. She's like, oh, you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and oh yeah, all the boys in school are obsessed with her. Yeah. There's something about her that they can't get enough of her. She's the coolest girl in school. They play volleyball, <laughs> talk about it, just being cool. She gives everyone the cold shoulder. It's, you know, it's oh, part right. of her appeal, right? She doesn't give anyone the time of day. Mm-hmm. She's aloof. And yeah, they Kyrie sees her scar. Says so she got it on the playground. Yeah. Like yeah, as a kid. She was trying to impress a boy, right? Yeah, that's it. And the moon scar seems kind of esoteric to me. Like, I don't really know what that where that comes from or what it has to do. Because there's a little bit of a sense in this of like, what else is a spiral? Like, oh, yeah, I mean, this is a spiral. A snail shell is a spiral. Or the, uh, yeah. this is a spiral. But that a whirlpool or a tornado. But it's just a moon-shaped crescent I mean, a scar. crescent could be the beginning, like the center point. Yeah, I mean, that's what it ends up being, too. But it's, Or is it, you know, the town gets infected and finds its place where it can? I don't know. I don't know. There's a couple of elements of this story that are a little more esoteric to me. I like when we see um, the boyfriend again. You can see that he's really having a hard time. Oh, yeah. His eyes, yeah. <laughs> eyes are all shaded dark. Uh yeah, oh, and it's he's not so she Kyrie takes uh Azami, uh, which is the girl with the heavy bangs, uh, takes her to meet her boyfriend, and he's freaked out by her, and they can't figure out what's wrong. And then she becomes obsessed with him because of it, because he's like the first guy that's you know not not into her. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about that, too, because I almost feel like this story, obviously, the spirals, you know, we'll we'll see how they get up in this situation. But it's kind of almost just a completely separate story because it's such an interesting premise, right? Like everyone's always obsessed with her. She's sort of blase about it. And she meets a guy who doesn't want anything to do with her and she becomes obsessed with him. Like, that's a very interesting romance story. And then what ends up happening to her is sort of like a out of left field. Like I would kind of like to read that story without all the spiral horror stuff, you know, like because mm-hmm. uh, then the solution is just like, oh, and then the spiral consumes her head and she dies. But it's like, what would have happened if it wasn't for the, <laughs> the haunting of the spiral? Because it's such an interesting dynamic that they build where it's like a love triangle, but she's obsessed with him because he's not obsessed with her. It's just Yeah, well, I think a lot of it a lot of the stories are about obsession mm-hmm. um, and becoming consumed by something. Mm-hmm. And so in the, like when she was a young kid, she's, she wants the boy that doesn't want her. And, you know, that's possibly her obsession obsession. And, uh, and every guy she meets is like super into her. And that's not, what, that's not her kink. That's not what she's into. <laughs> So she finally finds the guy that fits the bill. He thinks that she's a monster. And she's like, that's the guy. That's what I want. I've been looking for. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, maybe she was cursed. 
because this comes up in another story as well of this idea of showing off for attention. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, she gets, you could say cursed. Uh, She falls down and gets the scar because she's showing off and trying to get attention. Um, And which leads to her downfall. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so then her crescent moon does start spiraling and then the scar on her forehead sort of becomes this void that gradually consumes her head. Yeah. My favorite drawing is <laughs> the spiral that's sort of burrowing into her forehead and her eyeball, just one of them, because it's sort of lopsided, is just sort of rolling around uh, <laughs> yeah. aimlessly in, in this void. I love it. Yeah, she takes her hat off and she's got, yeah, the spiral is on one side. So her whole eyeball is exposed. There's no lid or anything. It's just like, uh, and then at that exact moment, the eyeball then gets consumed by this and we get to watch (laughs) it. It's really gross. (laughs) (laughs) And again, like equally absurd and horrifying. Like if it was drawn with fewer lines, even I think it would be really funny, but it's totally like a body horror thing. Well, I think that, you know, what you were saying is there, there's also what take what doesn't make this funny is there's genuine feelings attached to it mm-hmm. of this love and obsession and the push and pull, the love triangle it makes it sort of tragic that, you know, she'll never have what she wants. Yeah, I also think the level of detail, like, I feel like there's such great hatching in this, like, really a lot of really fine line work. And I think it does so much for the ambiance of the story, too. Like, I'm kind of a minimalist. I'm sort of like fewest lines possible. And I feel like I would really flub a story like this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, I think that there's a way that you could do it with fewer lines. But, you know, I feel like especially when he's doing these hatching spirals, you kind of feel this franticness in the lines themselves. You know, they're not well thought out. They're frantic. They're dug in almost. Uh, And they're sort of violent hatching lines. Um, And there's sort of a beauty behind the gore a little bit as well. Yeah, there is a technical precision, though. Like, it's a very trained Mm -hmm. hand that's making those lines. So, yeah, then we get to a point where and then again, here she does her basically her hat gets pulled off. There's a whole other guy that gets pulled into this. So we'll just whatever. But um, he pulls her hat off and her all but her mouth now is a spiral. And she does have a big smile. She's got that big, scary, joyful smile. Like once they get consumed. Right. And her hair gets frizzy out of nowhere, which. Oh, yeah. The humidity. (laughs) (laughs) that's a whole other problem yeah it's you know it's an island japan (laughs) that's the real tragedy she's gorgeous here (laughs) that's the other thing is then she just kind of gets consumed by the spark i mean it's a cool sequence of like her Mm -hmm. body pulling into it but i did really want to see what would happen if she didn't get consumed by the spiral and just the how the love triangle played i that to me felt not like a cop-out like it goes with the larger narrative but i would have liked to have seen how this story played out without the spiral just killing her yeah i think i prefer the the killing bit (laughs) fair enough (laughs) but but i think it would have been uh trauma uh anyway it ended 
yeah, I wasn't going to end well. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's like polyamory would be the only uh, joyful <laughs> solution. I'm sure, you know, all polyamory always ends well. So that would have been a much <laughs> every better time. every yeah. time. I've never seen it go poorly. Mm-hmm. So then the fourth one is the uh, is another ceramics based. So this is now Kyrie's dad, right? Mm-hmm. So we get more. Uh, yeah, Zumi goes up in the sky. She yep. gets burnt up. Yeah. And then down into the pond. And then her dad is starting to stare into the kiln. As soon as someone's staring at something a lot, you know, it's <laughs> not a I good sign. Know. Yeah. Yeah. And they've always got the veins in their eyes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can stare with no veins. And then his his new pottery is all just a bunch of weird looking stuff covered with spirals. Yeah, like super organic, strange shapes. Um, kind of hideous. Yeah. Like they look like, you know, just somebody's organs fell out and somebody doodled spirals on them. Yeah. I mean, at this point, they're like, you know, we've been at this a few times. I'm not feeling feeling good about this and yeah, Kyrie's then, not having fun anymore she's like wait a minute there is a pattern here yeah i'm starting to well and i think that's cool i think that's done well how she sort of has to be convinced at the scope of this issue and like it's it feels kind of real like okay and there's been a couple of these now i'm yeah. sort of on board but like i i think like she's a high school student and so in the beginning when um what's his name is telling her about his dad she laughs. She thinks it's really funny. Yeah. He's, you know, standing naked, stirring up the bathtub to make a spiral. And he's like, no, it's not funny. Yeah. But it's, it's, there's a self-awareness by the artist, I think, of like having to really sell you on this concept. (laughs) So then, yeah, Shuichi's eating off a plate and then the noodles are spirally and then there's spirals on the plate that, and then the clay is from Dragonfly. Pond, yeah. which is where all the ashes are going, and he's you, you're beginning to see like the uh faces of the dead mm-hmm. in these spirals. And then he's uh, I like the sequence of him coming out of Dragonfly Pond with the oh, yeah, the clay. There's just so many great, yeah, just sort of um capturing these moments of like mania throughout this, yeah. He also becomes obsessed. And then she looks in the kiln as it's firing and basically like the, I guess, souls or equivalent of these people who've died are all in there getting burned up. Yeah, screaming for help. And then, uh, yeah. Terrifying. Oh, yeah. And then the voices sort of haunt her uh, after that, right? Yeah. So then Shuichi goes in and he throws a brick through the kiln and it uh, destroys it. And then the cottage burns to the ground. And then, yeah, so this one, nobody, I mean, other than people who've already died, but uh, the father, they basically save him. Mm-hmm. Although he's obsessed. He's like digging through the ruins at the end. and uh, Making another clay pot. with Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. trying to salvage it. But he's, he's, so far, he's, I don't know if I'd say he's okay. But he's not he's a sky spiral. Burn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's got a little more time to uh for things <laughs> to go bad. Right. So then, oh yeah, yeah. So then we get the elopement story is the fifth one. So another kind of romance. Yeah. This one I thought was weird. Yeah. Like, it, it, it it's characters we haven't met. Mm-hmm. 
and sort of a, a Romeo and Juliet kind of situation. The two families don't want them together. Yeah, although they're both from the slum. I mean, there's a little bit of like a, a, a class narrative in it too. Like these are, yeah. but although, yeah, they basically grew up on opposite sides of an abandoned building that their families live in. And you can hear through the walls. Yeah, so they're they're not separated by much physically. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, their 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 parents are really and their parents are very diligent about not letting them get together. Mm-hmm. Like well, and they're know. judging each other, right? They're like, "Oh, don't go with that guy because he's trash." Uh and the people next door are like, you know, stay away from that girl. She's no good. She's also trash. And so it's like, you know, they're both in the gutter thinking they're better than the other one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I like the images of them like running towards each other. And then the, the parents are pulling them apart. Like uh, it's really dynamic. But yeah, I mean, it seems like there's a little bit of a, um, there's interesting attitudes about class in this story. And I do think Japan, it works differently there. I think there's less of like a lower class in general there. And there does seem to be a sense in this story, like, if you live in the slum, it's because you haven't paid your due deal. You know, these, these, that they really are like the, they're not just people who've fallen on hard times that they're. Right. But that's similar to like the States, right. Of, you know, uh, they're poor because they don't work hard or didn't pull up by the bootstraps sort of thing. And, you know, you could also be dirt poor, but you're like, but I'm not like that kind of. Poor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not the other end of the abandoned building poor. Right. We're the, we're the West side of the abandoned building. Um, <laughs> so yeah. And then they're kind of just keep running off and hiding together. And yeah, then this, these they're hiding in a, another abandoned building. And then these pile of snakes intertwined shows up. Oh yeah. Kind of esoteric, but also leads to something. Well, yeah, they twist around each other and he's like, Oh, I think those snakes are fighting. And she goes, no, they're making love. <laughs> She says it just like that. It's really yeah. beautiful. <laughs> um, and then, so then they decide to elope. But yeah, it does feel a little bit like, um, feels like, uh, you know, like when a sitcom does a backdoor pilot. We're like, who are all these new characters all of a sudden? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, that we could tell this story without our main characters that we know, you know, but they're sort of who guide yeah. us into She's mostly like watching in this story. She gets involved a little, like at the end, she gets involved, right? Because she tells, she's worried about them eloping. So she tells the parents, you know. Right. But she's pretty much the witness, which is, I mean, that'll shift in the next chapter, actually. But kind of up to this point, she's like the witness of all these things. She's consistently seeing these people that are like close to her. And these people feel they're not in the same section of town. We've not met them. This one to me was, you know, it maybe my least favorite. Yeah, and then where it goes too. So then they are they're trying to run away, and their families are like really good at keeping them from running away. These, I, I guess, they're not at work, right? So they can just follow their kids around all day, <laughs> and uh, they go to the beach, and then uh, the the families are really intervening. And so again, like this isn't like, oh yeah, there's spirals in this, or there's a world. It's like, oh, and then their bodies just start twisting and. Uh, like the snakes, they kind of become a big braid of two mm. people, but that doesn't like relate to anything that exists. I mean, yeah, they twist their bodies into like a spiral, 
And there's a really pretty panel of the spiraling hands sort of grasping towards each other. And then they get intertwined just like the snakes that they saw. Mm-hmm. And I think... Do snakes really do that? Do you know? I, I don't know. Nothing about snakes. <laughs> I asked you to do some recon about snakes before we went on this show so yeah well it turns out um just like indiana jones that's the, that's the one thing that scares me <laughs> oh really i don't like them i mean i guess they're fine if they don't jump up on me and scare me and i have to prepare myself but i'm not touching it that's your phobia how is a phobia i think it's reasonable <laughs> I love snakes. I was actually writhing in a pile of snakes right before we came on this video. But that's funny because there's, I was worried because I remembered in a later chapter that we don't get to, I have a one like real phobia that is very directly represented in this comic book. And I was really relieved that it's, I guess, in volume two. So (laughs) I'll leave you to speculate about that. Yeah, well, so uh, I'll do my own research about snake mating and what it looks like. But yeah, they basically become like a big rope and then they just go into the sea, which is... Yeah, they dip in like Loch Ness and kind of, you assume, live together forever in the ocean. It's it's romantic. I don't know. Is it a happy ending? I don't know. I think so. I mean, they're getting away from the town. So lucky them. And... You know, there is that shot at the end of the two of them, like gazing into each other's eyes, that they get to be together forever and then they swim away. And like their little shoes look like a, a tail. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. I mean, this one is just even more esoteric than the other ones. Yeah, this one, it felt like a weird departure. It, uh, uh, Yeah, I don't, not my favorite, but, you know. I enjoyed the journey of seeing where it was going to go. <laughs> yeah. And then the, so now we're on the last one is, you know, emotionally prepare myself for getting to the end of this. But uh, so this one throws through me because it actually is happening to the main character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kyrie's at the center of it. Like the spirals have gotten to her. Yeah. So then it starts with somebody um, falling to their death. And it says they'd always been a show off trying to get attention. Like you said, Seeking attention and that sort of spiral of being at the center of this spiral of attention. Yeah, is this one of the story even more so than the other one is about seeking attention and and how dangerous that can be. So she's talking to her friend who's really into uh, she's talking about craving attention, and Kyrie's like not an attention seeker. She yeah, likes. To I don't like to stick one. out. I don't want anybody to notice me. And then. Uh, Shuichi's kind of has a has some things to say about that, about the spiral and the uh, people who are obsessed with attention are being uh, affected by this. And then he says, maybe you should get a haircut, which is, uh, again, I don't know, maybe <laughs> he's just being a controlling boyfriend or is that related no, to the, because yeah. uh, that's always a bad sign, you know, it when is. he starts telling you how to wear your hair. I don't know. Yeah, it's no good. Red flag. Yeah, <laughs> so that's just the first red flag from him. You know, sure. Uh, Up to now, he's fine. It's <laughs> fine. So then she doesn't, but then she doesn't cut her hair, and it starts turning into spirals. Really pretty spirals, like Princess Aurora and Sleeping Beauty. Like <laughs> in the beginning, it's really pretty. It looks full of volume and bouncy. <laughs> and then she tries to braid it, but the the hair's not having it. Yeah, this one. I found it interesting. I think I guess as a as a woman of 
this idea of, you know, women have so much of their identity caught up in their hair. And so when something like that is like attacking or, or having a mind of its own, you know, I think that can be a really specific horror because, you know, your beauty is tied up in your hair. Um, and women take it very seriously, <laughs> but like, yeah, she braids it and, and, and the tendrils like break the ponytail holder and just spiral right up, like in a really scary way. So were you affected by this, uh, notion of the sort of self-aware, uncontrollable spiral hair? Yeah. I, I, I think I can feel the terror in it of like this, uh, you can't control it or, you know, it's, it's not you, you're something else, but it, it's, it, it's when everybody starts staring at her hair and it's getting her the attention and not in a good way. It, that's terrifying. I think, or, you know, you can't have no control over just your body doing nutso things. You know, it, it's expected that you, you know, look a certain way, do do a certain thing, and then you can't control it. And like, if your hair falls out, you know, a lot of women, that's a, that's a huge fear. And so this is just taking it to the other direction. Yeah, it's interesting, because her hair is getting all this attention, but it's, yeah, it's based on like a freakishness. Yeah, and then people keep staring into the spirals and getting mesmerized. Yeah, that's, but so first, she tries to have her hair cut, and the hair won't allow it. And I think this is my yeah. favorite image, again, trying to describe a visual, but it's a small panel, but the the barber's like, you're a monster. And she's kind of got her arms outstretched and just this shocked expression while her hair is like all tendrils in all these directions. And it's such a small drawing of her face. It's so few lines, but it's so expressive. Yeah. Like yeah. just, uh, it's all in her eyebrows, I guess, which are just these very few lines, but, and then the two dots of the nose and the crook of the hands but there's just i love when a tiny drawing just captures so much yeah i think what really works about that one is that there's so much stillness in her face mm. while behind her the hair is going crazy and it's attacking the hairdresser like going up the arms she's screaming there's all this action and she's like uh just still in the horror of it all yeah and yeah you can kind of even though it's a still image, you can see that the hair is moving, you know, that it's like writhing. So yeah, then she's just like, can't cut this hair. Just her. It's, it's mesmerizing everyone. People are staring into the spirals of her hair and she goes to school. And would you go to school if your hair was, I mean, I don't know. I think that'd just be a wrap, you know, I'm like, I'm gonna take some time off. Yeah, I mean, I, I never had good grades in the first place. I, like, I find an excuse to get out of school. Yeah. But her dad is crazy at home, so maybe she just needed some time away. That's true. There's no... I like the uh, the teacher, I don't know, he's some authority figure at the school, and he's like, Gojima, what is that hair? You better fix it now! Like, I love the kind of yeah. adult, irrational, like, demand of, you know, it's like, when you're a teenager, I was, like, depressed, and you get yelled at by a teacher <laughs> or something for that. Stop being depressed! You know, it's just, like, sort of that lack of empathy or understanding from adults. Mm -hmm. But then he's hypnotized by the hair. Yeah, I think it, you know, how distressed she is at the attention is really interesting, I think, as well, of, 
her friend covets it so much, but mm-hmm. Kyrie's so distressed by it of just walking and being her. People are staring uh, because her hair is different. It, she's a freak show, uh, she thinks. And, you know, it's, I think it's, for me, that was fascinating, you know, this, but why does it keep coming back to the attention thing? of those that seek attention and that those that shy away from it. I would be curious to know. Yeah. I feel like he like maybe just kind of like brainstormed, you know, like it is very much like a meditation on this. Okay. I'm going to do this thing with spirals and kind of like, what can we do with that? Like what's a spiral? And then what does this mean? So things moving towards the middle, seeking attention, or I just think he like wrote out a lot of themes or something. And he's just kind of examining them in each mm-hmm. chapter. And then I like, yeah, so then her friend shows up, her friend who does want attention, and now she's got spiral hair. Love her, like, smug smile as she's approaching. Well, she is like, they meet in the schoolyard. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's got dark hair. Kyrie has light hair for some reason, even though mm-hmm. she's Japanese. Uh, the contrast of the way the dark hair is drawn and the light hair is drawn is just yeah. it's a cool, really cool visual. Yeah. And it's this is where I thought this is hilarious. Yeah, it's so when weird. It's, it's the yeah. showdown in the schoolyard. We're going to have a hair battle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but something else that, that's brought to your attention is that the hair is sort of sucking energy out of Kyrie. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. And so this lady wants to fight, but Kyrie's, as the hair has gotten bigger, she's more and more exhausted, is, is taking more away from her. And then it says from that day on, the school was a battlefield. It seems kind of implied to me that there's a ser- there's a, a passage of time where they're having these hair throwdowns where they're basically just standing and looking at each other and their hair is doing stuff. Like it gets violent, but it, it is this all one meeting or are they like doing this for a while where they're meeting every day and their hair is just kind of like flashing at each other and then it escalates later and then they have the hair fight. I was a little unclear about that. Yeah. I think the way I was reading it is basically like uh, Kyrie's almost, you know, an exhausted zombie at this point, just Mm -hmm. trying to get through school and uh, her friend, which I can't remember her name, but she uh, almost bullies her, finds her and takes the attention away. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and takes it for herself. So confronting her, I guess, every day, wherever she is, wearing her down, wanting that attention. Because when you see her friend's face next, she's also super um, zombified and exhausted, big bags under her eyes. All this hair work is uh, exhausting. It is. It, it's true. It's just like real life. Um, it is. But yeah, they have a hair battle. Like yeah, their hair. Is... I've had enough, and then she starts to choke Kyrie with her one of her tendrils. Yeah, which is kind of hilarious. But if you've shared a bathroom with a woman that's got really long hair, <laughs> you might. I have. Might be your thing that scares you. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, well, yeah, I don't want to see what the uh, the drain looks like <laughs> right. after this hair fight. If they go take showers, and so then uh, Kyrie's boyfriend gets sucked up in her hair. He tries to cut her hair off. Yeah, and then he gets sucked up, and then she collapses, and her hair is just in a big. Yeah, like winds around him like a cocoon. 
And then uh, her friends, you know, is what to her, she won the hair throwdown. Mm-hmm. So then she's going to go uh, do something even more grandiose with her hair. And then he cuts his way out of her hair, which is so it's cool that she so she survives the spiral in this mm-hmm. story. She's like the first survivor of one of these. I guess her dad yeah, survived, yeah. too, but he's kind of she's not consumed by the spiral in the same way. She never yeah. likes it. Yeah, I think, well, she doesn't give into it, right? Because they say, like, uh, and maybe it is the attention thing of, you know, not being consumed by something because her friend, like, once she gets it, she has that rictus smile that all the other ones get of this terrifying smile, like, now I have all the attention. And, you know, she's let it run away and consume her. And Kyrie, you know, rejects it, I guess. And, and is able to escape it. Yeah, so all her hair gets cut off. And then the friend, some really great images. She wraps her hair up around a electrical pole. And then, yeah, just basically withers away to nothingness. Yeah, and the hair becomes so big and elaborate that it, it drains everything away from her. And I love the the, the final images of this one. Of her just kind of getting, and her eyes are spirals. Hanging. Oh, yeah, her eyes are spirals. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, her hair remained on the telephone pole, displaying itself for several hours. Yeah, so then there's like a two-page afterward that's Genji Ito, who's sort of talking about the research, but it's it's very... um, humorous it's not really uh it's well, the, I didn't, i've got the big collected so oh yeah if you read this illegally on the internet um <laughs> you get this great i guess because it's maybe i mean it should be in the big collection but uh yeah he's just talking about how he's uh researching it and basically he's like i decided to read all the reference materials about spirals i always ended up falling asleep part way though just sort of a humorous panel of him sleeping with and then he's uh just observing spirals, eating spirals, like uh, those crab cakes. And mm-hmm. uh, so I don't know. It's just sort of like a tongue. In- and then at the end, his editor is like yelling at him, like, where's this month's comic? So it's <laughs> no, it's not in the big one. Yeah, it's very much like a humorous kind of uh, almost like an about the author, but it doesn't actually like reveal it. it it's got an interesting contrast in tone to the story. But it does seem like this is the work of a person who has a sense of humor, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think he's a really funny guy. I think I think in order to do horror, you have to have comedic timing uh, in order to pull it off. You can um, see that, yeah. I wish I would have read that. I don't have it. Well, I, again, you I will can... find uh, it illegally. Yeah, <laughs> it's always the best answer is to find it illegally. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or maybe in the single volume collections. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, when they do one big book, it should always have all this stuff. You know, it's... Shame on them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you have any? Uh, so that this concludes volume one. It's, so it's three volumes in total. So we've read a third of it. Um, you're invited back if you want to do the second volume. Yeah, I love this book. I think it's great. And, you know, it's sort of uh, pushed me into, you know, enjoying the genre that I love and trying out short stories. And um, yeah. I guess it did. It does have a lot of body horror, but for some reason, this isn't like the 
it doesn't feel like it's like there's fun to it, you know, like in the hostage movies or the hostile movies. See, those I haven't seen. Those are like torture porn, right? Like, yeah. I don't watch yeah. any of the like Saw. I haven't seen any of the Saw movies. I don't know. I had an ex that loved them and he watched them all the time. I could not stand them. <laughs> Speaking of red flags, but yeah. Yeah, man. Should have seen it coming. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sort of its own thing. Like, this isn't really like anything else, I would say. Yeah. And I've bought. Uh, two more of his books uh, that I'm going to read as well. With, my nephew has them right now, so <laughs> I will get them back from him. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm super interested, and then I really want to read his his cute cat books. <laughs> yeah, I saw that he made some books about his cats. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we'll talk about those later because yeah, definitely. <laughs> but yeah, just his quality of craft is really high. Like. He can really, um, I think he can really make you feel the way he wants you to feel yeah, when you're reading one of his sequences. Of, full of atmosphere. And it's such a success, I think, to basically take something that's totally ridiculous that you would never associate with horror and very uh, skillfully create horror from it. Yeah, I mean, uh, in a weird way, it reminds me of that movie uh pie uh, darren aronofsky mm-hmm. totally i can see that yeah. yeah there's uh you know or the one after that which requiem for a dream yeah I, i'm like i uh, remember the theme music but... yeah totally yeah it was a good soundtrack but yeah that was i think the closest that and the exorcist i was like i don't know if i can sit through this like it's just viscerally upsetting to watch yeah i think requiem for a dream is one i'm you know, I, I like that movie, but not one that I revisit. But it's that, that idea of, of obsession and madness and how it can pull you in uh, like a spiral um, with just a little bit. Because it starts with like uh, in pipe, it starts with spirals with him, too, in the coffee. Every time he put mm. a screamer in the coffee, it spirals. Uh, I think but he was obsessed with fractals, I think. But Yeah, and just whatever the unifying... It's all math based, yeah. right? But it's yeah. just whatever kind of unifying equation would, you know, it's like a universal harmony. But that will do another podcast where we talk about pie. It's a really good movie. Yeah. But um, yeah. So I don't know. Any other final thoughts on this? No, I don't think so. I think we covered it pretty well. All right. Well, before we wrap up, I have a very important question for you, which is uh, on the topic of runs. If you could do undeterred by editorial intervention, and let's say even undeterred by deadlines, just to make it a more oh. inviting question, you could do a run on, I think it's always better if it's an established thing, you know, uh, but what would your your dream run be? Uh, I mean, always it's creator-owned, just something that I get to play with that, you know, I make the rules. Uh, there's no backstories that I have to do research for. Mm. <laughs> but if we're talking established characters, that's tricky. I do love Constantine quite a bit. Mm. I think that would be really fun. And would you write it too? Uh, no. I, I, I would love to work with somebody that you know 
would take the wheel for a little bit. I'm exhausted. But. <laughs> <laughs> Who and, would you, you know, pick though? If you could pick any writer for, oh, let's say it goes, it goes perfectly just based on their quality of writing. That's tricky. I don't know. I mean, I love Alan Moore stuff and yeah. Neil Gaiman and like the creepy sort of getting into it and having a real meaty emotional story i think for sure trying to think of anybody like currently super working in comics that's harder for me give me a dream run i know too many people i can't say i know right it's such a loaded question you're gonna hurt so many feelings are being hurt right now (laughs) you can feel the spiral of attention around you as you know i know it's horrible uh Okay, but Constantine, that's a cool answer. And then would you do, let's say, if we, we are not doing established properties, would you do a, uh, would it be a horror book of your own, if your dream thing? Yeah, I mean, I it's it's been in my mind forever, you know, and I'm working on Lady Killer, which is more of like a, a dark comedy. Um, but I get to do a lot of gross out stuff in it. There's a lot of blood, there's a lot of viscera, <laughs> you know, disturbing things to draw. Um, but I would like to try my hand at just all in horror. Yeah, I would like to read that. So I don't okay, know. Who I got it. Uh, okay. Me and Frank Miller work on a gothic horror. Oh, he would write it? We, we'll co-write. Okay. Would it be today Frank that. Miller or like Time Machine, late 80s Frank Miller? <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really good friends with Frank Miller. <laughs> oh, are you? I'm sorry. Okay, cool. Sounds no, good. No, no. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, I've seen some of his stuff that he's been putting out with the, his imprint. And so I think it's, you know, that to me is fascinating. So he's kind of co-writing with a bunch of people where he's, you know, they pitch him a thing and he's like, oh, okay, well, maybe you could play around with this idea a little bit more kind of thing. And then, and then go, and it seems like a really fun way to make a book, I guess, because I love a lot of his stuff. Yeah. Can you pitch this to him? You think you can make it happen? Yeah, I think uh, maybe. Cool. Well, it's documented here. I'll get 10%. Oh, okay. I'm going to pull a Stan Lee. It was my idea too. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this is really, this is just an IP farm. This whole podcast, right. that's all it is. Um, and what are you working on right now? I'm working on uh, the third series of Lady Killer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just wrapped up Wonder Girl and starting it back up. Uh, super fun. Very relaxing. It, it all takes place in the 70s. So I have to do a lot more research than I had to in the past. But Yeah, where do you get your uh, images, your reference from? Uh, I, buy, I buy all the Sears catalogs from the years I'm working. Nice. Um, you know, uh, or, you know, lifestyle magazines, ladies magazines, just to get a sense of, you know, what people were wearing, what their houses look like. You know, obviously I have to do history lessons but just for the aesthetics i buy old um, montgomery wards and sears catalogs yeah yeah i'm doing a comics biography about muhammad ali and uh it's so much work to be like okay now it's 1963 how does that look different than 1960 and the 60s too is like really really each year yeah Mm -hmm. and so there's really like uh society is changing visually each year so it's like a lot of work yeah but you got to remember that uh, characters will be behind the times sometimes, uh, depending yes. on who they are as a character. Some of them are not in step. 
And also like in 1964, not everyone's driving a 1964 Cadillac. Like people I always have new people. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's interesting. Yeah. Like the early 60s just looks like the 50s. Mm-hmm. And then you get to about 63, it starts to take its own shape. And between 63 and 67, you just get a complete like seismic shift. Yeah. In culture. I'm doing part of the story in 66, uh, mm-hmm. which is maybe my favorite, like of the design and fashion. And it, it, it just goes to a really weird place. Yeah. And I, so. I love it. Yeah. It was super fun. It's almost like fashion dropped acid that year. Yeah. Yeah. They went for it. <laughs> they did. And then do you have anything else to promote or where can we find you on social media? Things like that? Uh, I am. So I'm putting out Lady Killer on the platform Zest World. Mm. Uh, so that's the first place that it's going to be. Uh, and then after that, um, TBD. But uh, I'll be launching it first there. That's a digital platform? Mm-hmm. Oh. Who, yeah. Who owns that or where is it? I think it was like a, some of the co-creators of Reddit started uh-huh. this and it's a it's a platform for like digital commissions and um a bunch of creators are sort of yeah, I mean they they kind of let you just do what you want and pay you for it and <laughs> and yeah, I'm just playing around, you know. It's been great. Is it still like standard comics format like page by page you know i'm trying to learn the vertical scrolling i think there's a a few times in the book where i'm going to change it to that and then maybe reformat it when it goes to print Mm -hmm. but you know i'm I'm playing with it but trying to keep it kind of standard unless like the moment calls for something else is it kind of designed to be read like on your phone primarily Yeah, yeah yeah Yeah, it's it should be interesting. It should should be, yeah. Well, cool. Do you have any social media you want us to follow or anything like that? Um, yes, please never contact me on Twitter. And oh, I just did while we were talking. I was sending you Twitter messages. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm trying to quit Twitter. It's it's a hard habit to break, but I can't it's, stand it. It's an evil place. Do you have? Do you? You must get a lot of um, contrarian responses to things. Yeah, I've had, you know, my share of death threats, rape oh. threats, nasty, nasty things. Oh. Uh, you know, and but, you know, the majority of it's kind and nice and, and people reaching out. But, you know, when uh, you've got terrible self-esteem, all you focus on is like the worst of the worst. So <laughs> I don't know if you have to have terrible self-esteem for that. I, I think there's just a... a... Yeah, if you get 99 positive comments and one bad one, and someone goes, oh, what were the comments like? You'll go, I got this bad comment. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, and in my head, I'm like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew I was shit. I knew it. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. You don't ever, like, just, you're. are you ever drawing comics? And you're like, yeah, I'm A comic stars drawing Batman. Mm-hmm. Do you ever feel that way? No. You know, I will occasionally I'll have it and then I'll go for dinner and I'll come back and look at it. I'm like, God damn it. Like (laughs) it's garbage. Well, I feel both better and worse hearing that, (laughs) you know, cause I've been, yeah, I've been struggling with that too. And then I'll go, uh, I'll just tell myself, Joel Jones feels bad too. You know, not sure what to do with that. I'll I'll keep thinking. I think we all feel kind of bad. Like it's, it's artist law, isn't it? (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm taught a lot. I've done a lot of teaching and I've noticed that the people who are the least self-conscious 
are are often the people that should be the most. I think <laughs> that horrible feeling you have with yourself kind of drives you to always do better work, I think. Yeah, I think it was Steve Lieber gave me some really good advice on that once. It was, you know, if you look at your work and you don't see the problems, you're not growing as an artist. Mm. Uh, so, you know, those moments of crisis when you're really hating your work are sometimes when you're making the most development because you see all your other stuff, but somehow you've grown all of a sudden and, and you're, you're morphing into a better artist. You just don't see it yet. I'll take it. I'm going to hold on to that feeling. Yeah, it's very positive. And with that, we'll bring this episode of The Runs to a close. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about me and my work, my website is ohyesverynice.com. That's O-H-Y-E-S-V-E-R-Y-N-I-C-E.com. Also, I'm working on a comics biography of Muhammad Ali. You can learn more about this project at patreon.com slash ohyesverynice, where you can subscribe to both digital and print Additions. I can also be contacted at ohyesverynice at gmail.com. You can send me episode suggestions for the runs. And if you send me an email saying you heard about it on this podcast, I will send you a free digital copy of one of the chapters of the Ali comic. Home base for this podcast is theruns.blogspot.com, but it can also be downloaded or streamed on all platforms where podcasts are available. All the best ones. Please rate and review the show and share this podcast on social media and more importantly in person thanks so much and see you next time on the runs